Thank you, Sharon. Welcome, everybody, to our worship service at First Church. I'd especially like to welcome all the visitors we have with us this morning and to those listening on radio. I have several announcements before we start our service this morning. The red rose on the altar is in honor of Bob and Sandy Durek's 58th wedding anniversary, which they'll be celebrating on Tuesday, August 29th, so happy anniversary to both of them. The white rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Miss Addison Homan, daughter of Rick and Abby Homan, who will be celebrating the Sacrament of Holy Baptism this morning. Today is a first church family picnic. I've been told that all the plateware and silverware will be provided, so you don't have to bring any of that. There will be water and lemonade also, so if you want anything more than that, you have to bring it yourself. And also, everybody is invited, and we'd also like to invite anybody who's listening on radio to come on over. We'd sure like to meet you, and so just come and have lunch with us today. Last announcement that I have is Consistory has called a congregational meeting on Sunday, September 24th, immediately following that morning's service, for the purpose of approving the repair and sealing of the east wall, east exterior wall of the church. There will be also some discussion on some upcoming rather large repairs that need to be done to this building. So, at this time, I'd like to have Tori Russell, our youth director, come forward. She has several other announcements for you. Good morning. Uh, Startup stuff is happening. Youth group is coming. Uh, Sunday school is starting soon. Uh, and we need teachers. Um, so if you have it on your heart, you've maybe been thinking about helping it with Sunday school or even helping with youth group. Um, please come talk to me. We need a couple extra teachers um, just for helping um, in the classrooms. It's kind of a big undertaking, especially for some of the younger classrooms. There's quite a few of them. Um, so if you, if God has laid it on your heart to come and help out on a Sunday morning, just come and talk to me and uh, we'll be happy to plug you in and get you serving in that way. Uh, also, confirmation is starting soon. Um, it starts in Three weeks, and we are looking for some mentors for our incoming seventh graders um, and then a couple for the eighth grade as well. So if you would like to be a mentor, it's a really cool opportunity. You get to walk alongside uh, students in their journey with Christ, um, meet with them pr- uh, pretty regularly depending on schedules. Um, but w- if you would like to do that and that's something that God has placed on your heart, please come talk to me as well. Um, and then also... As Jack said, uh, the picnic is this afternoon, or yeah, this afternoon. Um, so we invite you to come on out. There'll be burgers and hot dogs. Uh, bring a side dish, and we are really excited just to have a family picnic together and to be together as a church family. Um, so we hope to see you there. And I am headed out there now to set up. So I will see you guys there. Um, and again, if you are willing to help with any of the areas I mentioned, uh, Sunday school or mentoring or even youth group, uh, just come talk to me and we will get you plugged in. So thank you. Thank you, Tori. With September being a startup month for a lot of our Bible studies and choir practices and so forth, I'd encourage you to look in the bulletin on the inside of the back page. There are different dates and startups times for all those different things that are going on. And now to start our service this morning, would you please rise and join me in some responsive reading, which is taken from Revelation 15, 
verses 3 and 4. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. Please remain standing for our opening song this morning, Revelation Song.
you may be seated. This time, I want to invite Addison May Homan, as well as her parents, Rick and Abby Homan, and the godparents, Christine Clanky, and Dan Baker. Thank you. As I've shared before on, on, on many occasions, uh, this is just such an exciting time for me as a pastor. This is one of the really exciting things that um, we get to do as a church. And that's, that's not only uh, welcome new children into the world and into the life of the church uh, and, and, and recognize that, but also witness the commitment that they're making as a family to raise their, to raise their children in the Lord. And so uh, today is a very special day for Addison and her family, and we're excited to, to be a part of it. So I, uh, with that in mind, uh, we, I, I want you to hear these words. Uh, first from Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 through 20. It's an invitation from Jesus and a promise offered to each one of us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In obedience to this command, the church baptizes believers and their children. And hear these words from Peter in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, the first sermon preached, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. Baptism in them is a sign, it's a symbol of that promise that through Christ and His death and resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life and the hope of, our, of the forgiveness of our sins. So having heard God's gracious promises to us in Christ, do you desire that Addison be baptized? With that in mind and, and with your intention stated, uh, as we talked about before, Addison is obviously a little too young to make this commitment herself. And, and, so, uh, and so as her parents, we ask you to make this statement of faith so that we as, as a church can witness that commitment that you have made and the promise then to raise her in that same faith. So do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciple, trusting His promises, obeying His word, and honoring His church, and showing His love as long as you live? And will you devote yourself to the church's teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers? In response to, to their confession of faith and, and as, a, as a way to unite together in the faith as a body of believers, I encourage you to recite the, the Apostles' Creed with me. Um, the words are printed in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and of the life everlasting. Let's pray together.
We thank you, O God, for the gift of life. We thank you for this family and for this child being dedicated today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. Through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, you have made it possible for us to be accepted into your family. I pray that you would bless and sustain this child. Draw, to, draw her to yourself, just as Jesus welcomed the children during his ministry. May she grow to love you with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we also pray for her parents, that you would equip them to fulfill the promise they make today. Bless and sustain them as they teach their children to know and love you. All this we pray in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So since you've made your intentions known to to baptize Addison in the faith and to raise her in that same faith, we ask you now to to make a commitment before the Lord, uh, before your family, and before this church uh, to raise her in that same faith. Do you promise to instruct Addison by word and example with the help of the Christian community in the truth of God's word and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for her and teach her to pray? Do you promise to nurture her within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? If so, say, we do, God helping us. Sorry, I forgot to flip the paper over. My bad. (laughs) They really do mean it. I've talked to them. And so, brothers and sisters that are gathered here today as well, we ask that you make a commitment too, because as we baptize her as we welcome her into this church it's a commitment that they're making as a family but it's also an opportunity for us as a church to make a commitment to them to come alongside them and help raise her in the faith as well to support them and encourage them in any way that we can and so as we receive addison into christ church i charge you to nurture and love her and assist her to be christ's faithful disciples if you agree to do that would you repeat the words printed in your bulletin with joy and thanksgiving we now welcome you into christ's church we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you, and to help you know and follow Christ. Well, this is the exciting time for many reasons, but one is you never know how children are going to react. Oh, there's a lot of people out there, huh? Well, Addison, it's my privilege and joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He turn His face towards you and give you peace. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You for the free gift of salvation You've made possible through His death and resurrection. Thank You for the symbol of baptism, which reminds us that You wash away our sins and give us new life if we put our hope and faith in You. We pray for Addison, bless and strengthen her daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to her the riches of your love, deepen her faith, keep her from the power of the of evil, enable her to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes, and may she grow to know, love, and serve you with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also pray for Rick and for Abby. Look upon them with kindness. Let them... Always rejoice in the gift you've given them. Grant them the presence of your Holy Spirit that they may bring up Addison to know you, love you, and serve you and her neighbor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. As, uh, as they find their seats again, I encourage you to, to stand and, and greet a neighbor and invite the children to come forward for children's church at this time.
morning. One good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Did you bring your hands with you today? No. You didn't bring your hands? No hands? You forgot your hands? Oh, you're in bad shape, aren't you? All right, we're going to talk about prayer because in the next next week he's going to talk a lot about prayer. But I this is one of my favorite, you know, little stories about your hands. Now, how can you fold your hands when you pray? How do you do that? Show, show me how you do that. Hmm? Well, a lot of times you'll see pictures like this where all the hands flat. Let's do that. Want to do it that way? Huh? Now, what is closest to you when you have your hands folded like that? Well, he's close to us, yes. Very good answer. What are these called? Thumbs. So if they're the closest to you, that is when you're saying a prayer, you can pray for those people who are closest to you. And who might that be? Hmm? Mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, your best friend. So the first ones you pray for are the people that are closest to you. Now, what's your second finger? Is that the pointer finger? Hmm? That's the pointer finger. Now, this is the ones that point you in the right direction. So that would be teachers, Sunday school teachers, you know, uh, your uh, teachers at school, anyone who teaches you the right direction to go in. And it could be mom and dad, too. Mom and dad can cover a lot of that. Now, your middle finger is the tallest one, isn't it? That's the tallest one. And that finger is the one that you pray for, you know, people that are in authority. And that could be policemen, firemen, the government, the president. That would be the next person or type of people you would pray for. Now, your fourth finger is the weakest finger. Now, we have to ask Sharon if that's true. Yes. Sharon, the music teacher, says, when you play piano, that's your weakest one, is that fourth finger. So then you pray for people who have been sick, who are having trouble in their lives, who are sad, and things like that. So who's the last person you think you pray for? Who's little pinky stand for? Hmm? Ourselves. Because we don't come first. We pray for others. We pray for people who teach us. We pray for people who govern over us. We pray for those who are sick. And then we pray for help for ourselves. So, you know, someday you may have a friend at school or someplace else that says, I don't know how to pray. Maybe their parents never taught them how to pray. And you can say, I can teach you a prayer that uses five fingers. Let's say a prayer. And before you go back to your seats, there's some papers out there. You can remember how to do it, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, open these young hearts. May we see their innocence and follow their example as they pray for their families, for their teachers, for the president for those who are sick, and for themselves. We honor you, Heavenly Father, knowing that you are the greatest of all. And thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Last week and a half, we lost no soldiers in Afghanistan or Iraq. However, as you have been seeing in the news, I'm reminded of for those in peril on the sea. Lost in a Black Hawk helicopter crash, 15th of August, off the coast of Hawaii. First Lieutenant Catherine M. Bailey, 26, from Hope Mills, North Carolina. Chief Warrant Officer 3, Brian M. Wober, 41, Decatur, Alabama. Chief Warrant Officer 2, Stephen T. Cantrell, 32, from Wichita Falls, Texas. Staff Sergeant Abigail R. Mellon, 33, from Jenkins, Kentucky. Sergeant Michael L. Nelson, 30, from Antioch, Tennessee. Also, the Army lost Sergeant Michael J. Martinez, 22, in Germany, from Norwalk, California. And Specialist Matthew Turcati, 20, was killed in a live fire exercise in Fort Carson, Colorado. He was from North Smithfield, Rhode Island. And then on the 21st of August of this year, lost in a collision between the USS John S. McLean, McCain DDG-56 in the Straits in a collision with an oil tanker in the Straits of Malacca on the way to Singapore, were electronic technician third class Kenneth A. Smith, 22, from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Electronic technician third class Dustin L. Doyen, 26, from Suffield, Connecticut. Electronic technician first class Charles N. Finley, 31, from Amazonia, Missouri. Interior Commission, Interior Communications Electrician First Class, Abraham Lopez, 39, from El Paso, Texas. Electronic Technician Second Class, Kevin S. Bushnell, 26, from Gaithersburg, Maryland. Electronic Technician Second Class, Jacob D. Drake, 21, from Cable, Ohio. Information Systems Technician Second Class, Timothy T. Eccles, Jr., 23, from Manchester, Maryland. Information Systems Technician Second Class, Corey G. Ingram, 28, from Poughkeepsie, New York. Electronic Technician Third Class, John H. Hoagland III, 20, from Killeen, Texas. And Interior Communications Electrician Third Class, Logan S. Palmer, 23, from Decatur, Illinois. Thank you, Jay. This time, uh, before we go to the Lord in prayer, I'd like to invite the, the Germany mission trip team to come forward, as well as any of our elders that we have with us today. Uh, we'll be commissioning and praying for the group uh, before they leave here in a couple weeks. Uh, we can just stand, yeah, right here, and we'll, like, we'll face out. Yep, they want to see our nice smiling faces this morning, I'm sure. Here, John. 
Since I'm part of the group that's going, um, I've asked John as, as president of the consistory and the congregation to, to be the one to actually ask the questions and commission us this morning. Um, before, he, before I ask him to do that, I do want to um, just read a, a passage of scripture for you. It's from Romans chapter 10. It says, there, anyone, excuse me, it's beginning of verse 11. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed, the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That passage reminds me of, of really the purpose and the reason behind our group going to, to partner with the 3C Project in Kusel, Germany. Uh, we're going to be helping with the completion of this building in any way that we can. Um, we're still not 100% sure what we're going to be doing when we get there, but we're going to be helping them um, all with this project. And the reason why I shared that passage, the reason why it reminded me is because through that building and through the ministry that's happening there, there's going to be uh, uh, impact in Germany for Christ because of the training that happens there for other pastors and missionaries, because of the youth camps and, and things like that that happen. And this, this building itself will even house a church and a congregation. And so there's a lot of impact that's going to be made, not just for the eight days that we're there, but for generations to come. And that's why I think a project like this is so important because it's training and equipping leaders to then go forth and proclaim the gospel um, as, as Paul said is so needed for us. So with that in mind, I, I invite John to, to ask us uh, the commissioning questions. Okay, uh, we're going to uh, ask the mission team a couple questions and then we'll ask the congregation one question. You can follow along in your bulletin. Do you recognize your mission as being sent forth by God to be his hands and feet in service and share his word? If so, answer, we do. Do you accept your assignment as the commission from God to go and act on his behalf? And do you accept the responsibility of representing this congregation and this community in doing the work of the Lord? If so, answer, we do. And this is to the congregation. Will you support them with your prayers during their venture and, and your interest? Let's try that again. <laughs> Will you support them with your prayers during their venture and with your interest upon their return, recognizing their contribution to the work of God's kingdom? If so, answer, we will. Let's pray for the team. And I'd like the elders to lay a hand on their back, please. Dear God, it is with great anticipation that these nine individuals will be departing soon for the 3C Mission Project in Kuzel, Germany. This church has, which this church has supported for several years. We, the congregation of First Church, fully support the following group and their efforts. Jana Hirschfeld, Eric Hirschfeld, Brad Hoagie, Krista Hoagie, Joel Buckland, Sharon Colson, Jeff Colson, Connie Schreer, and Weston Hirschfeld. As it is written in Romans 12, 9-13, 
Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share the Lord's people. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Lord, there is obviously a need in this region of the world. We ask you to give this group the energy and desire to be as productive as possible while they're in the mission project, while they're at the mission project. Allow them to join hands and do whatever is necessary to further this project toward completion so that it can be a vehicle to enhance your kingdom. Grant them safety and protection as they travel and work. May your guiding hand be upon them throughout this entire journey. Also, allow them to see the sights and experience the German culture since this is our heritage, since our, since our heritage is directly tied to that part of the world. With this, Lord, please allow me to represent First Church and commission this group to the three-seat project in Kuzel, Germany. Go and do good work in the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, John. Thanks, everyone. You guys can find a seat. Thank you so much. And while they're finding a place, I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. Um, And Adam Rohrbaugh will be blessing us with special music during that time. Joshua fit the battle round Jericho, Jericho around Jericho. Joshua fit the battle round Jericho, and the walls come a tumbling down. God knows that Joshua fit the battle round Jericho, Jericho around Jericho. Joshua fit the battle round Jericho, and the walls come a tumbling down. A good morning, Sister Mary. Good morning, Brother John. Oh well, I wanna stop and talk with you and tell you how it come along. I know you've heard about Joshua, he was the son of none. Well, he never stopped his work until, until the work was done. The God knows that Joshua fit the battle round Jericho, Jericho around Jericho. Joshua fit the battle round Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. You may talk about your men of Gideon, you may brag about your men of Saul. There's none like good old Joshua at the battle of Jericho. Up to the walls of Jericho, he marched with spear in hand. Go below them ram horns, Joshua cried, because the battle is in my hand. God knows that Joshua fit the battle round Jericho, Jericho around Jericho. Joshua fit the battle round Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. You may talk about your men of Gideon, you may brag about your king of Saul. Well, there's none like good old Joshua at the battle of Jericho. Well, they tell me, great God, that Joshua's spear was well about twelve feet long. And upon his hip was a double-edged sword, and his mouth was a gospel horn. Yet bold and brave, he stood salvation in his hand. Go below them ram horns, Joshua cried, because the devil can't do you no harm. God knows that Joshua fit the battle around Jericho, Jericho around Jericho. Around Jericho and the walls come a-tumbling down Up to the walls of Jericho he marched with spear in hand 
Down below them ram horns, the Joshua cried, because the battle is in my hand. Oh, then the lamb ram sheep horns began to blow, the trumpets began to sound. Oh, Joshua shouted, glory, and the walls come a-tumbling down. God knows that Joshua fit the battle around Jericho, Jericho, around Jericho. Oh, Joshua fit the battle around Jericho, and the walls come a-tumbling down. Tumbling down. I invite you to remain standing for the reading of the scripture this morning. Our passage this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as examples of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. You may be seated. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, you are the God of all compassion and comfort and mercy and love and holiness and justice as well, Lord. We are so grateful that you are all of those things. Um, And I pray now that as we open your word together, that you'd uh, point us in the direction you'd have us go. I pray that you'd highlight the things that are important for us to remember this day. And uh, to hold with us as we go from this place. I pray that you give me words to speak and open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. In Christ we pray. Amen. I'm sure you've all heard the saying, you know, about the the glass being either half empty or half full, right? The the optimist sees the glass that's, that the glass is half full, right? They see the positive sign of things. Uh, the, the, the pessimist sees the glass is half empty. They can only see the bad aspect of During his earthly ministry, he would stand there and say, listen, I don't even know. And so how can we as Christians expect to be able to predict or figure it out when even Jesus himself, the Son of God, said, listen, I don't, I'm not even aware of how that is going to work out. The Father knows, but, but in the meantime, while I'm here with you, I don't have that knowledge. So how can we expect to know that as well? That's why I don't give much credence to, to books or pastors who are always trying to predict Christ's return. I'm sure many of you remember 
back in the 80s. I, I couldn't figure out his name, but I've heard of the book, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. Right? Like, it was there, and, and obviously there was, there was probably some beneficial teaching in there. I'm not discounting the entire book as a whole, but obviously we're, we're about 30 years removed from 1988, and we're still here, and Christ hasn't come back. See, see, trying to pin down the exact time or the exact date isn't necessary. We have the promise that he will return. We just don't know when. And the third thing, third thing then comes off of that. We know that he's going to return. We don't know when. And so therefore, we should live holy and righteous lives now so that whenever he does come, we'll be ready for it. The Bible always speaks about the second coming in order to promote righteousness and holy living in the present. Not to predict what will happen in the future, but to encourage the body of believers in the present. Just exactly what's happening here in this passage. The reason why James references the Lord's return is to encourage and strengthen the believers that he's writing to. It's not so they can you know, mark something on their calendar and try to figure things out. It's so that in their present circumstance, in the moment, they would be strengthened and encouraged to follow the Lord, even in the midst of their current circumstances. Does that make sense? And so as we hear these words today, Nearly 2,000 years removed from when James wrote these words. You know, 30 years is one thing, but 2,000 years removed, right, from when the New Testament was written. 2,000 years from when, removed from when Christ returned to, to be seated at the right hand of the Father and promised to return again. Right? He's encouraging them and encouraging us to stand strong and to stand firm no matter what we face. You see, patience as James is talking about here, is possible because we have that sure promise that Christ will return and He will judge. He is holy, He is loving, and He is just. And He will right every wrong. And it's precisely because of this hope that we can be patient in any and every circumstance. We can endure suffering because we know it will not have the final say. Right? The hardship we face, the difficulty we face, is not the end. We have the promise from Christ that He will return and He will right those wrongs and that for those who have put their hope and their trust in Him, He will will bring us into His kingdom and be able to enjoy being with Him forever with the barrier of sin removed. And so that's the hope that James is pointing these people to, that in the midst of their difficulty and oppression, they should be patient and trust in the Lord. And so he gives them, and there's a few points here I want to make, and I know with everything we have going on today that, that we don't have as much time as we normally would do. So I want to, I might go through these a little quicker than I usually would, um, but I encourage you to follow along. Um, there's three warnings that James gives here to, uh, to his readers. And the first thing he says is, is to not be impatient. And we see this because over and over again he's encouraging them to be patient, be patient, be patient. And so if he's having to tell them that over and over again, well, obviously the temptation was to not be patient. And so he's warning them to avoid that. God, um, the problem with that is that we often want God to work on our timing. All right, think about when we're dealing with family or friends and we're annoyed with them because we're, you know, we're losing our patience with them. What's the root issue? We expect them to work on our time, right? We expect them to do things the way we want them to do it, when we want them to do it, and how we want them to do it. And so when we become impatient with God, what we're really saying to him is that we want him to work on our schedule. And that, if you put things into that perspective, you can see why patience is such a, such a, one, it's a hard thing to do because it means giving up control, but it's also something that many of us struggle with and it's a big deal. James uses the example of a farmer, right? Many of you, I'm sure, can relate to this. You can't make crops grow overnight, even if you want to. 
even if you do everything right and provide it the most perfect conditions to grow, that, that stalk of corn is not just going to spring up overnight. It's a process. It takes time. In the same way, life may not go as we expect it. It may not happen when we expect it. We may not be relieved of our suffering in the moment. But we can have the hope that, that over time, Christ is working and He will right those wrongs eventually. I'm reminded today with, with Addison's baptism that it's important for us as parents to be patient with our children too, right? They don't grow up immediately. right? They don't always get things the first time, right? Even if we want them to, right? No matter how hard we try, it may take time for them to get it. And their faith and their commitment to the Lord may be the same way. As parents, we, we want our children to grow in the Lord and want them to connect from their earliest memories and put their trust in the Lord at that point. But the reality is sometimes that doesn't happen, right? That takes time. And so we as parents must be patient. We as a church must encourage and, and come alongside families and, and, and help be patient with them, right? And, and, and work in the Lord's timing. Not giving up hope, but trusting that God is still at work. The second warning is he encourages them to not lose heart. He tells them to, to stand firm in verse 8. You too be patient and stand firm. It's, an, it's, a, it's a commandment that you see throughout Scripture. Uh, one of the passages that comes right to my mind is Ephesians chapter 6, where, where Paul is writing about the armor of God, and he encourages the people over and over again in just a few short verses to stand firm, to stand their ground. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when that day of evil comes, in other words, when suffering happens, when hardship happens, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. To stand your ground. It's not always easy because suffering often leads to discouragement and doubt. We begin to question God or, or wonder if He really cares about us at all. Suffering can point us in that direction. And that's why James and Paul and the other writers of of our Scriptures teach us to stand firm and to, to stay strong in the faith, even in difficulty. We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus so that we don't lose heart. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1-3, through 3, the author there encourages us to set aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And here's the key. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's how we run the race. That's how we stand firm, right? Not in our own power, own strength, but by focusing our eyes on Jesus. So he tells us not to be impatient, not to lose heart, and also not to grumble. Again, this goes back to the issue of patience. Grumble, when we grumble, when we complain, when we bicker, it's, especially when we do it against God, it's, it's demonstrating a lack of trust in Him. Not only is my timing better, but I know how to do it better too. Right? God, just sign off here and I'll, I'll take care of this for you. I think of the Israelites in the wilderness. For 40 years they grumbled and complained about, about their situation when all along God was taking care of them. Right? And God pointed out over and over again, look, you haven't run out of food, your clothes, your sandals haven't worn out. What do you have to complain about? And yet they over and over again complained and bickered to the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 10, as, as Paul is remembering this and using it as a teaching point, he, he talks about idolatry and lists 
all the typical idolatrous sins that we think of, sexual immorality, uh, things like that. Um, don't be idolaters like some of them were. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. We should not test Christ as some of them did. And then the last one is do not grumble as some of them did. You don't always think grumbling is a part of that one of those lists, but it is. Grumbling, complaining, especially when it's directed towards God, is demonstrating a lack of trust. And so as we grumble, as we complain, it's, it's really revealing our heart and our lack of trust in God. And so those are the three warnings, but then James also gives us three examples to emulate. And the first I've already mentioned is the farmer. And that farmer, is the example there, teaches us to demonstrate patience. But not just passive patience, active patience. Many of you have, whether you're farmers or just have gardens or even just enjoy having flowers on your back porch or whatever, you know that that just sticking a a plant in some soil and leaving it be is not always going to produce the best results, right? You need to position it. You need to put it in an, give it the best opportunity to succeed in order to have the best crop or the best flowers, right? You need to water it. You need to give it nutrients, maybe even some fertilizer. You need to have good soil. And when you do those things, it's giving your plants the best opportunity to grow. And I believe God wants us to do that as well. He doesn't want us to just sit idly by and think, well, nothing really matters, right? And have no part in it. God desires that we position ourselves, even as we're putting our hope and our trust in Him, He he desires that we position ourselves for growth. And for God to work in and through us. One of those things I think is that we should know His Word. How can we trust in His promises if we don't know them ourselves? I think we can also surround ourselves with people to support and to encourage us. Real friends to build us up when we're down and to point us back to the right path when we've gone astray. That's what it looks like to have active patience in a situation. We also have the example of the prophets. That not only were they patient, not only did they endure, but they did so while they were proclaiming the Word of God. So proclaiming in our patience. They remained faithful to the Lord in the midst of suffering and persecution. I think of Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet. God called him to a ministry and basically said, listen, I'm going to send you to a people and they're not going to listen to a word you say, but you're going to go. And Jeremiah suffered. He was thrown in jail. He was beaten. He was carried off. All because he was serving the Lord. But he never gave up hope. And he never gave up his ministry either. He continued to proclaim God's word even in the midst of those situations. In the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, as well as the famous heroes of the faith chapter uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the encouragement that even though people suffer persecution, even though they go through hardship, they can be considered blessed because they're doing it in the name of the Lord. And, And the Lord is with them even in the midst of that. So as we wait patiently on the Lord, we need to remain faithful to Him. We need to continue to serve Him, sharing our hope with others. And I believe that as we have that kind of patience where we're not afraid to proclaim our hope, people are going to notice it. People are going to notice that there's something different about the way you endure, the patience that you have, and they may want to know about that. And that will give you then an opportunity to share God's love with them as well. And finally, we have our third example is the example of Job who all of us know, even, even non-Christians know the example of Job, right? Who lost everything. Lost it all. Family, wealth, his health. And even though he, he was upset about it, to say the least, <laughs> right? Even though he struggled, he persevered in his patience. 
He persevered in the sense that he doubted God. He questioned God. He had anger. And he directed it right at the Lord. Through all of that, yet he never gave up on the Lord. That's the key right there. That perseverance and the patience that even though you may be mad, even though you may not understand it, you're not going to give up on the Lord. Job, through all of that, never turned his back on the Lord. He took his anger, he took his rage, he took his, his suffering right to God. And I think that's such a good example for us because we may, we may think we're fooling other people by putting on a mask and pretending like everything's okay, but we're not going to fool him. Right? We're not going to fool the Lord. He knows what's going on. He knows our heart. He knows our mind. And so to pretend like everything's great is just fooling ourselves. It's not fooling God. And so he can handle our, our questions. He can handle our doubt. He can handle our anger. He's big enough. And oftentimes it's, that's how he helps us to get through is by, by bringing that junk to him. But yet, he, but yet Job and the example that he sets for us is to never turn our back and to never completely turn away from the Lord. I want to end just on a side note. These last two examples, the prophets and the, and the example of Job, show us that in life, the end result of our suffering may be positive or negative. What we experience in this life right, may not go as we planned. The prophets suffered and many of them were even killed for their faithfulness. They did not experience any sort of earthly reward for their faithfulness and for their patient endurance of what they suffered. On the other hand, Job was blessed at the end of his suffering. In fact, he had even more than he had before, right? God had, had blessed him multiple times over with what he'd lost. And so we have two examples here. One of the prophets who, who suffered, and many of them died without ever experiencing any sort of earthly reward for their faithfulness. And then Job, who experienced great earthly reward for his faithfulness. And I want to just encourage you that either one of those situations is possible in your case. You may not experience that sort of blessing or that sort of reward in your own life, in your own timing. But the promise is that if we are patient, if we endure, the Lord will return. He is full of love and compassion. And we may not experience blessing in this life in that way, but we will in the life to come. That's the hope and the promise we have in the Lord. And that's why James frames this whole conversation around that promise. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And that's what I want to encourage you to do as well. Whatever you're facing in this life, good or bad, be patient and wait for the Lord's coming. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are, you are here and that you are with us. And we have the sure promises of your, of your return uh, to this earth to establish your kingdom and to right all the wrongs that we face. Help us to be patient until that day, not giving up hope, but enduring just as a farmer does, just as the prophets did, and just as Job did for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand in closing and sing the final, or first verse of our final song, Because He Lives, number 213.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace.